Support for this episode of 9 to Thrive HR is brought to you by Wilson HCG. Wilson HCG helps companies reach their talent objectives by transforming the way they think about the recruitment function. To learn more, please visit wilsonhcg.com. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of 9 to Thrive HR, a podcast produced by HCI where we discuss some of the most pressing issues facing talent management today and help surface ideas and solutions to those problems by speaking to experts and practitioners in the field. My name is Randy Kenny, and I will be your host for today. I am joined by John Blowers, Managing Director of HR Transformation and Consulting at Wilson HCG, and Andrew Godomsky, Founder and CEO of Aspen Advisors. Let's get started with a little more about you, John. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, Randy. I've been uh, been in the HR profession for about 25 years, two-thirds as a practitioner and a third in the consulting side of the business. Um, currently, as you mentioned, Managing Director for Wilson HCG, focusing a lot on HR uh, technology transformation and a lot of uh, talent assessment and management initiatives for uh, uh, small, medium, and large-sized companies. And Andrew, could you share a little background with our listeners also? Sure. Thanks, Randy. I uh, spent my, the last 20 years of my career uh, between a mix of uh, advanced technology, information technology, and uh, human resources. Uh, the last 10 have been leading uh, our initiatives here at Aspen Advisors, uh, and we work with uh, mid-size and large-scale uh, employers uh, on analyzing their workforce strategies globally. Uh, and it's been a real fun ride. And the two of you co-presented on a recent webcast where you discussed the importance of analytics and strategic workforce planning. John, how would you say analytics and workforce planning work together to encourage business growth? That's a great question, Randy. You know, I think the uh, you know with the emergence of workforce planning before it used to be maybe a little bit more uh, you know guesswork, and you try to tie it to the business plan as best as possible. But often we might have been doing it in a vacuum or, or with very lim- limited data available. The emergence of uh, broader availability of data, greater integration of data, and really the, this uh, whole notion of uh, analytics versus just you know basic metrics is, is quite intriguing because now with the analytics, you can do a lot more with uh, what-if scenarios. And so as the business contemplates entering new markets or introducing new products or services or, or changing their uh, business strategy, you can really model a bit more about what are the human capital dimensions or implications of doing that and then bake that into that strategic workforce plan. And so that really helps inform the, the, the strategic workforce planning process in a much more quantitative way. I think that's been a big, a big, big advancement in the, in the past couple of years that I've, uh, that I've observed. Andrew, what are your thoughts on that question? Well, I think what it, what it does is uh, analytics allows us to compartmentalize the different assets that we use in our workforces easily. So whether we're looking at temporary labor, outsourced labor, our current employee base, or potentially the acquisition of other uh, companies, we can really segment how we want to plan our business growth using one or more of those strategies um, using analytics and using visualizations in a way that we just really haven't been able to do in the last 10 years. It, it's really relatively new. And so, you know, and to John's point, you know, rather than guessing, we have the ability to simulate how our businesses could grow using one or more of those methods 
and what are the risk reward scenarios of doing so, and it's a different way of evaluating our growth strategy. So following up on that, John, how would you say strategic workforce planning can help organizations better identify whether they need freelance or temporary talent or part-time or full-time talent? Yeah, it's, it's a really important dimension. I think, you know, we do this whole notion of kind of what I call the flexi-force, uh, you know, workforce these days where, you know, historically or more traditionally, we would think about things in terms of full-time or part-time and almost everybody was considered some sort of a permanent hire. Um, you know, now there's a lot more flexibility and that's, you know, that's the kind of emergence of not only the, the needs of corporations to be more flexible and have uh, more variability in their labor and, and more uh, options, but it's also uh, a function of the workforce. People are looking for more flexibility and, and, and to, you know, so it kind of works well on both sides. So sort of harnessing that new you know, flexi force creates some new opportunities uh, when it comes to workforce planning. So when you think about fully factored strategic workforce planning, uh, it really allows organizations to explore how best to exploit this relatively new approach to staffing. So when we think about, again, entering new markets or introducing new products, services, or whatever we're going to do to grow our business, uh, we can think very broadly about, well, what's the right combination? As Andrew mentioned just moments ago about, you know, maybe this is something we want to outsource and, 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 and rent or buy that talent externally, uh, either short-term or long-term. Or maybe we want to enter it, you know, in, in a, a bit less permanent fashion. Let's let's try and test it out and, and get, you know, maybe some temporary uh, labor in there with with a plan to evolve into more permanent ones. Similar to strategies that companies used to do when they went into emerging markets with expatriates, they'd go in, they'd lead with, you know, people coming out of the home country and, and expatriating, and then and then developing local national talent, repatriating the person back. It's the same kind of concept now. We can have multi generational strategic workforce planning which incorporates all the dimensions of this kind of flexi force that's, uh, that's emerged these days. The other piece that's kind of interesting on this one too, is sort of when you, when you think about the human capital implications of strategic workforce planning, really thinking about how to fragment workforce activity and then packaging it into the right employment category. So you may find that certain activities package up and that means it's a full-time person. Maybe in other cases, it's a part-time, maybe in other cases, it's you know, more as needed or on-demand uh, employment services. So it really allows you to kind of, mirror it up and do it in a more uh, sophisticated way than we've been, we've been able to do ever before. Andrew, anything to add there? I think what's, what's interesting about S, uh, SWP um, now is because of analytics, a chief executive or a board um, or a founder of a business can really think differently about or, or be more aggressive, rather, in matching the vision of their business with the workforce of their business. And as an example, you could have a business that creates, you know, some sort of, you know, SaaS technology. Uh, Say they want to create a SaaS technology for HR. The business founders could say, we want to have a large-scale workforce. We want to have a very big culture. We want to have lots of people involved and lots of human capital involved. And that could be a workforce of 500 people, 1,000 people if they wanted to. And it could be a mix of all kinds of personnel that are full-time, part-time, and so on. In the same light, a competitor in that, uh, for that business could say, no, we don't want to have a big culture. We don't want to have a big reach. We really want to use a lot of technology. We want to outsource a lot of the work. You know, our core is going to be about development. 
and they could have a team that's half the size, and both companies could be competing against each other in the same space. And so what, what, what now has happened with strategic workforce planning and analytics is it's allowed businesses to think about, you know, this is the product we want to develop, and then we have all kinds of choices on how we need to resource using a workforce. And then we have to back into, with the workforce that size, whether it's 2,000 or 20,000 people that we're touching, how are we going to engage them? How do they work together? How do we control culture? Those are all factors that they get to think about. And so I really like where we're at because I think it gives us a lot of options and allows business leaders and idea makers to make things come to life. Andrew, I'm glad you mentioned analytics and strategic workforce planning. What other useful applications would you say analytics has in HR? Well, you know, if you, there's, there's several silos or, or functional areas within HR. Um, and I think, you know, analyzing data has value uh, in a number of them, whether it's uh, engagement, um, whether, you know, compensation planning, uh, if it's uh, looking at executive leadership or, or training, th- there are, you know, for almost every silo of HR, there's a need for analyzing that silo and the ROI about the investments that we're making. Um, I think the, the two that I would, I would say are immediate are really around uh, compensation and then also around um, leadership impact. So in compensation, we can look at, you know, are people getting paid the same? Is it based on, you know, are we paying people and rewarding them based on meritocracy? Are we doing it based on tenure? Is it a combination? We can really get an understanding of our rewards culture, you know, by using analytics. When we think about training of, of leaders or training of, of people and executives and, and the executives that are within that group, you know, we can start looking at, are they making an impact uh, because of the training we're giving them? Are they making an impact because of uh, what they're learning and how they're interfacing? So, so those two seem to be uh, the two that I would, I would kind of focus on beyond workforce planning and, and, and talent. Uh, because they come as a vibrant part of a, of a business's culture. John, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think Andrew's spot on. Just just to build a little bit on those ideas, I think the um, you know one of the things I found is is uh, you know a lot of companies struggle with that meritocracy versus kind of you know paying for the pulse, you know, still being there kind of thing. Uh, I think where this where we have some of our clients that are more. Uh, represented workforces, blue collar manufacturing, what have you, that where, where compensation is a bit more prescriptive via the collective bargaining agreement, they're focused more on productivity. So they know they're going to have to pay whatever they're going to have to pay based on whatever they agreed to at the bargaining table, but they want to enhance that productivity. So this starts to blend into operational metrics and where you can start to ask business leaders to discount whatever limitations they may have had in the past. How do they, you know, what, what sort of things would be valuable? And then you start to get into marrying HR data with operational data, developing things like overtime run rate and field service utilization rate and other things that, that tie directly to profitability. And I think that's where HR can really be a value add. So uh, it's really just going out and asking those senior leaders, what do you have a blind spot to today? And how can I help you get some visibility into that? And then that really... Um, differentiates good HR from great HR, in my estimation. 
And lastly, many organizations out there are still struggling with building an analytics program. Andrew, what recommendations would you have for our listeners who are facing that struggle to get started with building a quality program in their organizations? Well, I think the first thing is that we've matured enough as an analytic culture or you know, within our own industry now where you don't have to make it. You can buy it. I think that, you know, like other outsourced organizations that are out there, there are companies that all they do is specialize in, in running analytics for businesses and, and looking at your data and cleansing it and organizing it, and they offer analytics as a service. So we've matured enough to, to have businesses that you can go to and say, we don't know how to do this. You do this for other organizations. Can you help us? And so I'm encouraging a lot of organizations to go and look at expertise and look at systems and, and say, you know, we should not try building a car ourselves. Let's go buy one, right? We've matured enough to do that. I think what an, organ, you know, what an organization tends to struggle with is they struggle with that concept first of buying the car. What, what we'll tell them is you need to focus on driving the car. So let's talk about, you know, you need to say, how are you going to operate? How often are you going to get into the car, drive it around, make sure people see you driving it around? What's the roads you're going to travel down? You know, that's where you need to focus is the journey that you're going to go on, the destinations that you want to map to, and, and figuring out the navigation along that journey. So if you, those are the two things I would say is, you know, use organizations that are there, that know what they're doing, get a car, then figure out, okay, what's our journey, get an agreement on the journey, and then uh, go ahead and navigate a way to get there that everybody thinks makes sense. The car analogy is a great recommendation. That's awesome for our listeners. And uh, John, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that car analogy as well. Um, yeah, I think I think you know, I, I, I draw a lot of parallels between this uh, emergence of you know an analytics infrastructure in an organization, similar to um, the way you know quality got infused into organizational structures uh, maybe you know 20 years ago. I mean, if you looked at an organization like General Electric, you know, circa 1990 or so, you know, there really wasn't you know much of a, a quality presence there. Uh, by the mid 90s, there were you know quality leaders, master black belts, black belts permeating throughout the entire organization. And I think uh, analytics is sort of at, the, at that same uh, early stage development right now. We'll have to kind of you know, see how it progresses. But I, I, think, uh, I think organizations are smart to um, think about within each of their core competencies or each of their support functions, identifying uh, someone who's going to you know, be primarily responsible within that group for analytics. It may not be their only job, uh, but it might be a you know a, a portion of their of their job and a, and a focus of their job, um, so that there's somebody in HR, there's somebody in finance, there's somebody in, in sourcing and, and you know and, and, and supply chain, et cetera, who uh, kind of maybe work together as some kind of a you know blended learning team that uh, play off each other and, and uh, develop the analytics that can that can drive the business forward. One of the things I'm seeing in our clients that they're asking for because there's not a lot of history in this area. Is is conducting a talent assessment, you know, within within organizations. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, terribly dramatic, but a, you know, a quick questionnaire or 15, 20 minute, uh, you know, kind of interview conversation type thing. We can gauge, you know, someone's experience, expertise, and and, and candidly their inclination towards analytics. Um, if someone's got a little bit of each of those, that might be the right person to, you know, to to try out and and uh, you know develop that capability. 
Um, and then I think in general, it's probably a good idea to, you know, there, we may get to the point where we actually have, you know, a, a chief analytics officer, somebody, somebody at the C-suite level who's kind of responsible for overall uh, analytics within the organization to tie it all together. I, I could see that, uh, you know, certainly developing uh, you know, over the next several years as, as this is uh, developing quite rapidly. Great thoughts. Thank you so much, John and Andrew, for taking the time to chat with us today about strategic workforce planning and analytics. It's been great. Thanks so much for all your assistance, Randy. And John, always good working with you. Same same here, Andy. We'd also like to thank all of you tuning in and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. Lastly, one more big thank you to our sponsor, Wilson HCG. Without their generous support, HCI couldn't deliver great content like this. If you're interested in learning more about what we discussed in today's episode, you can find more resources at hci.org. For 9to Thrive HR and all of HCI, this is Randy Kenny.